Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome to episode 46 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today we've got something a little bit different. I actually get interviewed by Tyson Popplestone from the Relaxed Running Podcast. This happened last week. Uh, I really enjoy any time I'm around Tyson and as you'll hear, we haven't caught up for a little while but we've got a long history. Uh, I used to run against him and and yeah, you know, he's just one of those guys that um, is just great to be around, very happy all the time, very positive and, and much makes you smile and laugh. So this is a great chat. I'm sure a lot of people will enjoy this chat too. Uh, the conversation is largely about my physio and he interviews me about uh, you know what are the common injuries I deal with when I treat runners and what's um, some of my best advice I can give to prevent running injuries. Uh, I think you know there's a lot of gold in this one and I really urge most runners to listen to it because I think it can definitely um, a lot of the um, advice can save you you know a lot of years of trial and error when it comes to navigating the often tricky um, injury riddled world of distance running so yeah urge you to have a listen and um, yeah it's a fun chat and uh, yeah and I'd also urge you to pop on down to Tyson's podcast because he's doing a great job and um, he's certainly um, you know a, a great podcaster and um, you know putting a lot of great content out there thanks Tyson Man, it's funny, actually. I was thinking the other day when I had a bit of a about a half an hour chat to you on the phone. It, it must have been five years, I reckon, since we've sat down and had a proper chat. It was was it the Everest function was definitely the last time I saw you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. What year was that? It was two thousand and fifteen. Can you believe? Bloody hell! I didn't know it was that long ago. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone so quickly. You had um uh, your brother Josh Papanicolau, a blast from the past, was there. Yeah, uh, yeah, man, it was it was fun. I can't believe it's uh, it's funny as you get older, bro, and you look back at how quickly those years go by. Like I was speaking to Jessie just before we started doing this podcast today, and she goes, she's like, "Oh, when was the last time you chatted with uh, Dane? It feels like yeah. a long time ago." And I was like, "Can you believe? Like you can chuck it as half a decade now." Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm the same. I felt like it was you know probably like a couple of years, but yeah, it's um it's crazy how the time just flies and um. Yeah, no, I, I still remember that night though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you do, man. That's a pretty good effort on your behalf. Yeah, um, yeah but so I guess like for for people who haven't haven't met you before or don't know, like me and you've got a bit of a history coming up through junior athletics, and we actually I reckon we had a good little rivalry rivalry there for a couple of years. I, I don't know about you, but you're always one of those blokes on the start line that I would always have my eye on, and knew that if I was anywhere near you or around you, I was probably having a good race. Yeah, well, I, like I always like. I reckon you've been a bit kind there. <laughs> like I, like I, I loved it, and I was always there, and I was always consistent. But um, yeah, I, I probably um, yeah, it was sort of more the longer distances, and didn't have your speed, or yeah, over the fifteen and three k, and and ne- never really got to. 
got to your times, but um, yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Like I was a regular on on the athletic season and have been um, for a good twenty years. Um, uh, yeah, just turning up every every winter season and every summer season in Athletic Victoria for Fr- Frankston and um, just just still love it. Like um, I remember, like growing up, mum and dad were like, "Oh, make sure you're well balanced, well rounded." You know, because you know, one day you might not like running, but for some reason, it's just stuck, and it's been a passion of mine. It's one of those yeah. things, isn't it? Once you get it in your blood, you can't quite shake it. I um, even yeah. still, I had a few years off. I I officially hung up the spikes in. I think it was two thousand and thirteen. I was all inspired by Mark Glitzavs here in Australia, who went and got drafted, and I thought, <laughs> hey, I can play footy. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get drafted. And I had a chat to a couple of clubs. They're like, mate, I could not be less interested in you. So, <laughs> so- no, I, I remember that. Like I remember when you um, went on that pursuit. Um, yeah, and, and you hit the gym a bit. And um, yeah, because uh, um, Sean's good friends with Jocko. And um, yeah, uh, Jock. Yeah, he was um, telling us about it. And yeah, it's so funny, man. Well, I always always promised Jesse that once I hung up my spikes that I'd put on a bit of weight because we got married in 2011 and I reckon the first time she ever saw me with my shirt off and realized my ribs poked out further than any of my muscles she goes oh my gosh like what have I signed up to here so I said all right what once my uh once my running career is done I'm going to hit the gym and that's what I did so I reckon I lived on tuna and steak and protein shakes for about 12 months I'm not sure it was my healthiest year but my pecs look bloody good that's for sure yeah <laughs> I was, um, but man, I, I've just got back into running uh, a little bit more lately, actually. Like even this yeah. afternoon, I just went out for a thirty-minute run. But you're right; like once it once it's in there, man, I share the same I share the same passion. Like even when I was away from the sport for a few years, I was always watching it. And uh, you, you mentioned so we were we were pretty competitive, I reckon, when we were younger, sort of like fifteen yeah. or sixteen. And then you yep. started to make that transition up into the longer distances, didn't you? And you like the marathon, half marathon kind of event is that where you're at now yeah yeah so um once I finished school like I I always knew that I was destined for the longer stuff because I just I just loved the longer stuff so I always enjoyed the long runs and I found this the speed work um oh I just didn't look forward to it it hurt um I hated those sessions um but yeah when it came to a long run I always found like I just I liked that slow slow burn and so after school uh, probably the next year I did a half marathon and um, I started doing a few more 10Ks. And then I, I waited till I was 28 before I did my first marathon because I always was a late developer. I always looked like I was 12 um, the whole way through school. And there was always that thought that you've got a lot of years, so just be patient um, until you're fully developed. And But, yeah, always, always couldn't wait to run a marathon. Uh, I don't know. It was just that. And I think – there's a lot of runners like that. They just they're just more uh, slow twitch and um, where it, or it might be their personality. They're sort of more they they like just sort of churning it out for a long time and don't mind mind the grind. Where there's other runners that seem to sort of really like that short, faster sort of side of the five k or the fifteen hundred or the three k. Yeah, well, I think you're speaking to more my kind of person there because the yeah. idea of doing long work or anything over 10K, I used to start crying on the way to training or on the way to the race. So uh, yeah. I definitely know the contrast in those two athletes. But what, are, what have you got your marathon down to now? What's your time? Oh, so uh, 2018, I went to Berlin and did the Berlin Marathon and I had a really good build-up and I actually wrote a blog, actually, in the lead-up to that uh, race and... Um, 
And so for about 16 weeks, I detailed my training and I think it made me really accountable. And I just, because I was writing it as a blog, I I had to do everything. And um, I've never been fitter and I ran 222.40. And the guy who, uh, that's the race that uh, Alude Kipchoge ran the world record. So it was was really cool to be a part of. Um, So I just remember with 6Ks to go, um, looking across and there was this big screen and and he crossed the line and I heard this sort of roar uh, in the distance and and the atmosphere was unreal in Berlin and it's so flat and fast and the temperature is so conducive to running. You can see why so many people go there. And it was as, as soon as I saw that 201.38 was on the clock when he cro- like Kipchoge crossed the line, it's like, oh, this is a special day no matter what happens. And it, it kind of was inspiring. It's like, yeah, I, I just kept driving for the line. That's crazy, man. Yeah, those big city marathons are, are definitely a far more appealing sight, I reckon, than I ran the Melbourne one in 2018. I don't know if you heard, unlike the street stories of marathons gone bad, um, but <laughs> I, I ran that, and I tell you what, there's definitely no incentive to get out there again anytime soon. That wasn't a crack at Melbourne Marathon. That was more a crack at the fact that I wasn't fit enough to run it. But the big yeah, city yeah. marathons where they're, where they're just lined with, uh, lined with people. I was speaking to Liam Adams a few weeks yep. ago, Liam Adams, for anyone listening, doesn't know him, he's a uh, 210 marathon runner yeah. now. And he said it's a similar story in Japan. He goes, you understand why people go over there to try and run fast because just the, the streets are just lined with people like 10 rows deep and they're just obsessed with the sport. So, yeah. uh, man, it's a pretty it's a pretty good place to run a fast time. I've heard it. It's got a reputation, doesn't it, Berlin, for yeah. being a good course it's to so, run quick? Yeah, it's so fast, like – you're just waiting for a hill or, a, you know, the wind or or something to slow you down. But it essentially just feels uh, like it's pancake flat. And um, so you can compare it to, like, some of the marathons over in Australia where there's always something like Hobart's, you know, pretty hilly. Um, yeah, Melbourne's, you know, got a few hills in it around the shrine. And, you know, some years you can get a bit of a wind. And, yeah, so, like, you're just waiting for something to slow you, slow you down. But, no... Nah, and generally, because it's got a reputation, it attracts a pretty good, pretty good crowd. So you've normally got people around you as well. Um, yeah, I just heard today it got cancelled this year. Obviously, like every yeah. other event in the world, that's a yeah, I know. Is it like it's a it's a bugger, but like I suppose it's important that um, the world gets on top of this. You know, it's pretty crazy time, isn't it? Yeah, um, man. I've actually yeah. one of the guys who's a member on the Relax Running membership. He's a German guy. He's I think he's nineteen yep. or twenty. Uh, a shout out to Beek, his name is. And Beek was, he's got the goal of running a two hour 20 marathon this year. And I think he had his eyes and heart set on Berlin. And I saw his Instagram story just the other day saying Berlin's cancelled. Oh no, come on 2020. So I feel bad for a lot of the young guys who were sort of trying to line up their first opportunity to really hit it. But uh, it's funny as you get older, you start to realise how many opportunities you, you get. So it's a yeah. little bit comforting for a bloke like oh, that. Yeah. but. Especially in the marathon, like, um, yeah, you've got a long life in the marathon generally. Like, yeah, you see so many um, runners like Sine Diver or Lisa Waitman and, like, they're still going pretty well into the early 40s. So Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, Lisa Waitman's a great example. She's got, I think she's got a couple of kids as well, isn't she? Yeah. Hasn't yeah, she? she? Yeah. She's got a, yeah. Yeah, same with Sine. Like, yeah, so now there's plenty of time. Like I was hoping to do it again this year as well, actually, with my good friend down this way, um, Matt Mattress Davy. Oh, um, the yeah. best, the best bloke in Melbourne. Yeah, he's uh, he's 
he's a good bloke and um, I've done a lot of training with Matt and yeah, we were hoping to do it together um, again. Oh, he's never done it. Um, so um, like this year, finally his school holidays fell in line with it because he's a teacher. Uh, but yeah. Oh, well, uh, it happens. Yeah. Uh, there's always going to be another race. You feel bad, don't you, when you talk about yeah, you're running in a time like this where people are yeah. losing their jobs yeah. and losing their lives. We're thinking, yeah, oh, crap, we can't run a PB. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, uh, I, I'm really interested to – I wanted to get you on because I know you've got a history, like a rich history in running, and I know there's a lot of physios out there who, uh, you know, are good. But I'm, as this podcast is really tailored and aimed towards runners, I thought it'd be great to be able to get you on here and – hear a little bit about your own story because I think there's so many um, there's so many little niggles and so many little frustrating mistakes that, that a lot of athletes make which when you when you've had as long in the sport as, as what we have or when you've especially yourself like when you've had as long studying the body and uh, just looking at the sport and the just the common pitfalls that we make a lot of them are probably really avoidable so I thought it'd be great to be able to get you here uh, pick your brain about what you've seen what you've learned and hopefully um, offer a couple of little takeaways to uh, to the distance runners who are listening, but man, just give us a give us a bit of a rundown how you got into the scene because I know you say it's in your blood a bit the, the running world, but uh, it, it's nice that you've been able to tailor your career around your running as well, almost. Yeah. Um, oh, so how how did I get into running? Uh, I was very like heavily influenced from my parents, but, like they're both um, so mum and dad were both PE teachers. Um, they've just retired as of the last year or two, um, but. Um, yeah, dad was a PE teacher at Rosebud secondary for like 35 years. And, um, and so they were very into sport and they both, um, uh, ran, um, and I, I would see them run like just at home and I just thought it's what you do. <laughs> like, um, so it, it, I, I suppose as a child, like it, you just, um, become what you see and, um, and that was my environment as I grew up. And obviously genetically, I've got a little bit of like, you know, what mum and dad have, and I'm pretty similar to them. And, uh, they both did marathons um, in the early 90s. Uh, they didn't train particularly specifically for it. They just sort of jogged and, and ran them, but it was part of their life. And and then in primary school, uh, in, you know, grade five and six, um, I went okay in the school ones and got through to the next level and then the next level um, off off largely just footy, footy training and just being active um, and running around um, at school. And so as soon as, I don't know, I've got, I've always had something in me where if I was, if I was um, okay at something, I liked trying to get better and, and then that's how it started. And, and I think um, almost what you said um, just off air to us about being a bit of a perfectionist, I think that is a common trait for distance runners. Um, uh, I remember reading Andre Agassi's book and he had a similar thing where you just want to keep getting better. And that was what he strived for, like perfection and, I've always loved just trying to like improve and and so then that's how it started and I ended up joining a running group in grade six and and year seven uh, and I really it really took off once I joined Nikki Frey's squad in year seven and I had a group of friends that did it and ran with them throughout secondary college and and there was about oh there would have been ten. 10 boys my age that all loved running and they were some of my best friends growing up. So that was a huge influence and that kept me in the sport. I was always small when I was young and I love footy. Like I lived next to my neighbor. Uh, I've got two brothers and my neighbor was Nathan Jones and Zach Jones. Oh, and, the king, yeah. the king. He's my favorite player. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I love him. I hate Melbourne, but love Nathan Jones. <laughs> Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Well, oh, yeah, well, um, we live next to a primary school, Mount Eliza North Primary School, and every night we went up to the basketball court and played football matches, and that was a constant for about six or seven years, and that's all we did. And that's, that's um, mine and my brother's claim to fame is we honed Nathan Jones' footy kicking skills. And, <laughs> um, yeah, so and, – and he was a good – he like Nathan was a good triathlete and runner as well, and, and then my brothers were pretty good runners as well. And I think, um, yeah, when you're around that all the time – it just becomes part of you and and then uh yeah i i think uh because I, I was small and and I, I tried to play footy like nathan and um i was no good i just kept getting hurt so i had to choose at about year nine okay um yeah i think i'll stick to running because i i was good at it and and I didn't want to get crunched every week yeah nathan yeah. jones is small too isn't he? he's just about he's probably as wide as he is tall though yeah, that's the thing. He he had this natural ability to put on muscle, and he was always so tough. Like uh, he was um, two years younger than me. He was more uh, my middle brother's age, Sean, and they grew up together. Like and did everything together. And uh, you always could tell that Nathan was going to be a good footballer. You just hoped that everything went right for him and that he made it the whole way. Yeah, I'm so jealous. You're uh, I'm sort of fan, I'm fangirling a little bit because. Uh, I was seriously just, I never read the Herald Sun and yesterday I was waiting for some uh, some Spanish food to get cooked and there was a Herald Sun right in front of me so I flicked it open and saw, uh, read a little article about him homeschooling his kids in the time being, how he's gone but um, man, you've done you've done something good with him because every time I see him, uh, every time I see him play, he's got some pinpoint precision with those kicks. You're right. But, yeah, I feel, I don't, I don't that was a bit of a joke. No, nah, it wasn't a joke. Don't don't take it. I know. I know it was true. I know you've done it. I'm going to quote that actually when we advertise this podcast that you taught Nath Jones everything he knew. <laughs> uh, he he would he would um. He'd remember those days. They were pretty good days. <laughs> Man, that's good. So, uh, and just through a love of running, um, I guess you're, you're right. Like you mentioned the that we were speaking about the perfectionist aspect to, to running. I was listening to a Joe Rogan interview on this comedian's podcast called Notebooks. Oh, yeah. And uh, the bloke who was interviewing said, said, mate, like, how do you keep improving? Like, what do you do? And Joe's like, my most important tip is you just got to hate yourself. <laughs> Yeah, he said hate yourself. He was saying it tongue in cheek, but essentially what he was saying is just at the end of each performance, go back and yeah, appreciate what you've done yeah. well, but just yeah. just assess where you've got room for improvement. I think that's a it's funny, isn't it? Like regardless of how fast you run, regardless of how much of a PB you run, you never quite think you've hit your peak. So I think there's yeah, um, I think comedians in bro. This is a whole other story we'll talk about later. But uh, the last two years, I've, d- I've started doing stand up. Yeah, I um I heard I, I listened to a few of your podcasts and I um heard that you've um actually sort of been doing it, which is cool. Like you're you you're good on on your feet, and um I yeah I can see I can I can picture it. Oh, bro, actually, maybe we can talk about this for a bit longer if you're going to give me some compliments because I'm happy to take <laughs> – I tell you what, I reckon I got nervous for a minute because I've been very cautious not to let any tapes out for about the next eight years and I thought oh. for a minute you were going to say I've actually heard some of your sets and I almost started to cry. Um, <laughs> but it's funny, man. The reason I bring it up always and the reason it's sort of hot in my mind is I just there's such a there's such a correlation between the two disciplines, which is so weird because yeah. the running scene's obviously like obsessive, healthy, obsessive – 
uh, are just trying to improve and, and, you know, adjust. Whereas the comedy, you've got like the fittest people in the world and the like drug addict, alcoholics, uh, yep. but they're all just got this obsession with improving their craft. Uh, so yeah. it's been really interesting, man. I think the, the role that you play through your physio work is one of those areas where whether you're injured or whether you're just trying to improve like a weakness uh, in your physiology, I think a lot of athletes tend to go towards as a as a one percenter. So what was it that sparked your interest in becoming a physio, man? Yeah, um, initially, so I went to school at Haileybury College. Um, yes, I was pretty fortunate to go there because um, – their focus on academics was, um, yeah, really big. So naturally I wasn't the brightest kid, um, but just having that structure around me, like made me sort of read more books and, um, actually focus on my, on my studies and, and know what to do. And so in year seven, they would often have an old boy come back to the school and talk, um, at assembly. And I always remember in year seven, a physio came and talked to the school and he was a sports physio and, I was obsessed by football and running and, and I, I was a huge fan of all, all things sport, like with my parents' influence and, and what, I, what I'd seen growing up, you know, and playing sport with my brothers and the na- next-door neighbours all the time at the school up, up, up above our house. And um, I just wanted a job that involves sport. And if I could be a professional runner, I would have been. But I had this vague... Uh, sort of idea of, yeah, I'll try to be as good a runner as I can, but, you know, if that doesn't work out, what else can I do? And that was the closest thing that I thought would would replicate that and I'd, I'd be, get to, like, you know, be be if, um, along for the ride. If, you know, maybe I could be the physio for, you know, some kind of sports team or sports person. And as you do your physio, you realise that it's a lot more than that and there's all different types of physio and you finish your physio course after four years and you realise there's orthopaedic physio, neurological physio, um, cardiorespiratory physio, and there's all these niches. And the first talk that the lecturer says in, in the first year of physio says um, only um, 9% of you will become a private practice physio. And it's funny because of the 130 uh, physio students in the course, probably 100% of them want to be a, a sports physio at the time. And, but then um, as, as people mature and change um, and, and go through the course, they soon go, oh, no, I, I don't mind this aspect. And I was just lucky that I, I don't know, I, for some reason my, my passions and, and thoughts didn't change and I always wanted to, to be a running physio. <laughs> and, um, and so once I finished my course, I, I reached out to Rob O'Donnell, um, who I still work for, and he works at Southern Suburbs Physio, and I knew he was a physio of the World Cross Country team. And I was like, I had a coffee with him, and I said, I really want to be the physio of the World Cross Country team for Australia. Um, and he's like, yep, if you work for me, I'll, I'll give you my job eventually. And and that's how it happened. Wow, man, talk about some incentive to, to get involved. <laughs> that's awesome. So Obviously, uh, I didn't realize that uh, the niche of there was a niche of physio which was specifically running physio. So you've just found yourself in the in the well, like it's like it's probably like uh, I've created that name, but like um, uh, I think over the last few years, because of the internet and then because of that that ability to um, uh, do a, a Skype um, or a podcast 
um, and then um, reach an audience that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to reach. I think the ability to niche down and and uh, really be specific and good at your your um, your specific aspect that you enjoy and that your passion of physio has become a bit more possible. So yeah, there probably was a time ten years ago where you were a physio and, and you probably like um, weren't able to niche down as much. Um, and I certainly still see like a lot of um, everything um, and a variety of patients, but definitely over the last several years um, now, my clientele is probably 70% runners. Yeah. That's uh, so interesting, yeah. man. Like uh, it makes yeah. so much sense as well to be, to go into a niche in a sport like running. Cause the idea that yeah, you're going to try and give as much attention to a footballer who's coming in with bruises and bangs and stuff as a yeah. as a runner i guess you're just dealing with different stuff if you've got runners coming in with bruises and bangs there a lot of them are probably doing it wrong um <laughs> so <Yeah>. it's <laughs> nice to have a, a bloke like yourself just to be able to uh, keep them on the straight and narrow man but uh, i really yeah. wanted to delve into this particular part of the conversation um because uh as we mentioned there's a a lot of real common injuries that we see amongst runners so is there a within the running scene is there a particular injury that you're most interested in or a particular a body part or a tendon or like where where do you direct most of your attention yeah um so the injury that i probably feel the most confident treating is probably tendon tendinopathy um so having had achilles tendon trouble for seven years myself and um going through times you know uh, in 2014 i wasn't able to run for six months like i tried about four five six times and it was just too sore my achilles um i've got a i found and now that i've got through it and i'm running really well again um and it feels strong i feel like i've gone through the whole process as as a um, as a runner and so seeing that side of things and actually experiencing the pain and the the doubt and um the disappointment and the and and not being able to run um yeah i feel like achilles tendinopathies are probably my favorite injury to treat because um of that experience but then also because of how hard they are to treat like so many people come in and and they really do struggle with them because they are such a balance between um, yeah, you need to still exercise while you've got it and you still need to strengthen it while you've got it and total rest isn't going to fix it, but then it's very easy to overdo it. So tapering your exercise and tapering, so tapering your running program and what you choose to do and tapering what strength exercises you choose to do is, is really important. And it's so, it, you need to really need to, um, uh, and it's quite hard to do. Like it's a bit of an art. It's a, it's a bit of a learning process. Um, so, yeah, I, I think from that personal experience and because it's so hard, but I feel like I know how to do it, um, that's my favourite injury to treat. But, yeah, I, I, if someone comes in with any kind of leg injury that's um, particularly it's running associated, like I feel confident. But if someone comes in with a shoulder injury or a hand injury, like my heart sinks a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So. Um, I was trying to prove that my multitasking ability is fantastic and continue a conversation as I Google. I couldn't do it, though. Can you just explain to me in real simple terms what tendinopathy is? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, with uh, every muscle that you have in your body, the ends of the muscle are like a rope, and that rope attaches to the bone, and that's how the muscle attaches to the bone. And that rope part is called the tendon. That 
that part um, gets a lot of loading in running, um, particularly when it comes to the bottom of the calf at your heel bone or um, particularly up at the bottom of your bottom bottom bone. Um, so the hamstring tendon, the proximal the upper hamstring tendon, or and some people also get it a little bit at the patella tendon, which is just below your knee. And so those tendons, those ropey parts, you, you need them a lot for spring. So every time you run, they undergo some stretch. So they, um, they undergo a lot of ballistic load when you hit the ground. Um, so when you're running like high volume and, and then a lot of speed work um, and a lot of downhill running or uphill running and changing your variables quite quickly, so when you're changing your training load quite quickly um, often and running a lot, depending on your biomechanics and, and, and different aspects of how you change your training load, like so some, some people, for example, run on their toes. So you'd say that if they weren't careful with their footwork choices, if they ran on uphill a lot, then they're more likely to get, say, potentially an Achilles tendinopathy. Um, if someone runs uh with their bottom sticking out and an arch back um and they perhaps overstride and then they increase their training uh training parameters quite quickly then they're more likely potentially uh to get a hamstring tendinopathy so uh it's 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 it, there i suppose they're areas of the um muscle that attach to the bone but as runners we use them a lot and often, depending on biomechanics and a lot of different variables, if you change your training quite quickly, that's probably the biggest thing that I've noticed is 90% of the injuries I see, overuse injuries that I see in the clinic are because people change their training quite quickly and too quickly for what their body's capable of tolerating. And mm. um, the more experience you have and the more background and, and um, base of training you've got in your legs and uh, you are able to take a few risks in terms of increasing your training and changing parameters in your training. But the, the less experience you've got, the more susceptible you are to change and, and, and getting a bit of an injury or pain. And, and one of the common ones are those tendinopathies. Um, they're a, a common overuse injury um, when you just – because running so repetitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just like, you know, every run, like a 5K run, you're taking so many steps and, I mean – Every every time you run, it's like it's like you're hopping. It's a series of hops, and that ballistic um, uh, uh, sort of um, impact. Um, yeah, it has a, a lot of a toll on the ten tendons over time. But that's not to get anyone scared about it. It's just like if you train smartly and and you train within your body and slowly increase over time, and just a real patient, and you have a, a great long term goal, um, and you, you 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 create a plan and you listen to your body. You have that flexibility of adjusting the plan at times, especially if you're feeling like you need to. Um, then there's no reason why you can you, you don't have to get a tendon injury. Yeah, that's a really good point. You touched on a few things there that I just want to uh, sort of put a pin in. The last thing you said is actually one of them. Just uh, yep. um, I think the 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 perfectionist aspect of a runner is really interesting because. You would think a perfectionist is someone who's just constantly on the lookout for ways to improve, but in a lot of ways, um, the the perfectionist or the obsessive nature, you might want to say, in a runner, it, it stops them from seeing areas that they would like to adjust. So <clears throat> I know yeah. you would know this as well as anyone, but uh, in a distance running sense, one of the big obsessions is, okay, how many Ks, how many miles are you running yeah. each week? 
And for it's not just beginner runners, is it? It's runners who have been in the sport for a long time can still get caught on that idea of, oh, okay, if I, I don't want to take an easy day because uh, you know it's not going to look as good on Strava. As much as I love Strava, I think it, it's a it can be a, it's a blessing and a curse. It keeps you accountable. Oh. But yeah. man, uh, I just decided uh, my Garmin just stays in the draw now because the amount of times I run an easy run and I'll look at my time and compare how I feel to how I, how fast I was running from the day before was uh, it was it just took so much mental energy and I had Stewie McSwain on a, a while ago and he's the fastest bloke in Australia over 10k and he goes yeah mate I couldn't tell you how fast I run a, a Sunday long run or whatever um, but the reason yeah. I, I sort of go off on that tangent is because. Um, yeah, you would you would think that perfectionist nature would say, okay, I'm going to adjust, uh, but instead it seems to dig deeper and go, no, I've just got to ignore this pain and and, and really just try and grit and bear it. Like, is that a common factor that you've well, found with a lot of the athletes that come in? Yeah, and I think like um, this probably illustrates it really strongly is that I need someone to tell me what to do. Like, so like I know what to do. Like, every, like even the people that know what to do still struggle with it. Like, if you're if you like, cause running is quite addictive and it, it's um, a lot of people do it because that's their stress relief. And, and, you know, they've had a hard day. If they're sore, they just, they couldn't care. Like they want to go for a run because that makes them feel better, like uh, mentally. And they just, you know, that you get that buzz um, from going for a run. So, you know, you, you've got to, like, so I, I, for example, if I'm sore, I go see someone external um, to, to my own judgment um, so that I've got that third third person, you know, telling me, you know, oh, this is what I think's wrong. You should do this. And so then I'm, you know, I've got, like, I'm not clouding my, my decision process with what I want to do and, and it's what I should do. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a... It's so common, Tyson, and, and I think you've nailed it. It's it's something that is always um, is always there with most runners, and um, yeah, that ability to go third person to it and go, all right, what should I do rather than what do I want to do, mm-hmm. and um, take it take a step back and go, okay, what would someone, what would I tell someone in this situation? Because often when I do that my advice is really good. Like, um, <laughs> you, you just got your physio hat and it's not, it's not your, your, your runners, runners hat. And um, yeah. And it's, it's tricky because when, when you're in a race, you need to have that really good ability to ignore pain and just push yourself. And the, the more you can just um, uh, detach yourself away from the pain and, and be able to, um, yeah, just squeeze every little bit out of yourself. Um, that that can make a really good performance and runner. Um, so whereas training's quite the opposite. Sometimes, um, you, oh, more often than not, you're training in fourth gear and you're sort of holding back a little bit and acknowledging the whole the whole week and the whole month and 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 you're going, what's the purpose of this run? And so you 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 can feel a bit lazy as a runner because you you're like, well, I didn't squeeze every little bit. Of, of juice out of myself for that session but you know at the end of the day you're training seven days a week or or you you might be training four or five days a week so you've got to you've got to make sure that the whole um, purpose of the session is really clear before you do it mm. and you know what's the point of this session rather than turning it into a race every time and I, I certainly have gone through it like in all through school I think I 
I almost gave every training session a hundred percent and, and it led to like a lot of underperforming. Like I, I felt like through school and for a lot of my running career, my best training was on the training track. And, um, I would always wonder why I was flat on race day. Um, and to me, I think it was for a while there, I just didn't get the balance right. And it wasn't until probably the last 10 years with the coach, um, Pete Swallow, my previous coach that I really learned a lot about, um, the whole, the whole idea of, um, uh, just, um, that training, training and, and the whole week, appreciating the whole week and appreciating easy days and, and the purpose of like just recovering and the regeneration run. And so those days in between your session days, just to use them as like, not even to look at the watch, like, like Stewie was saying, and, and, and sort of like you've done Ty, so you just put the watch in the, in the drawer and use them as pretty much just, it's like active stretching. You're going out, you're turning the legs over, the blood's going to all the muscles that you use for, for running. So then it's helping flush them out and getting blood to the muscles for recovery and repair and regeneration. And, and that's really been great. Like most of my easy runs now at 510, 520, 530 per K pace. And that's a lot slower than a lot of the guys I run against. And but it just feels like that's the pace I should be going at to regenerate and recover. Mm. And then now I'm, I'm the most consistent I've ever been race wise. Cause I feel like I've got that balance, right. And, but it, it took a lot of time to learn. And I think that's what a lot of runners need to understand is often you don't get the, get it right from the start. So there's a lot of times where you get injured or you, you, you are flat, but the good runner learns from it. The sm- and and they start training smart rather than being silly and just do it because it's very easy to fall into the trap of like more's better but at, more often than not it's it's more a case of um uh knowing when to pull back knowing when when you can um go to the well and then when you have to recover and and uh yeah it's 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 a case of learning your body and learning your paces and and um sometimes you have to overshoot to learn and you have to make a few mistakes to learn. Um, it's it's a bit of a like I said, everyone's different because everyone's everyone um, is a di- like um, has different strengths and has a different lifestyle and 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 different setup. So you've just got to you've got to I suppose make a few mistakes, but the smart runner learns from them and, and adjusts their training. Yeah, that's a really good point, man. And I think uh, you mentioned him earlier, but one of my great mates, uh, Jocker. James O'Connor, oh, yeah. who I went to school with, our, our memories of running as juniors together are all, I reckon from the age of 15 to 17, we ran, say we did 80% of our sessions together, and I reckon 70% of those sessions we were on our hands and knees because we were just yeah. busting our gut to try and uh, beat each other. And it's a, it's a funny thing, man, because we talk about social media as being a temporary dopamine hit when you see you get a like or a friend request from some pretty lady, mind you, not us anymore because we're both married, but uh, for the for the single fellas out there. And I think uh, the reason that it's so effective to give yourself advice as if you were giving it to someone else is because the emotions that we attach to so many of the experiences that we have, uh, it can really highlight it. It can make it really exciting or really devastating. And I think it's almost human uh, human nature, isn't it, to want to experience that high that high sort of uh, endorphin release and that's that dopamine hit um, as much as we possibly can. But the reality of running, just like any other part of our life, is that you might 
you might get that feeling once a week. Like 90% of your runs are going to feel yes. just okay. And then yeah. you'll – but the, the, the funny thing is that just like golf – um, you have one good shot that you're like, oh, that's all you can think about when you leave. You go, okay, actually, I can do this. It's the same in running. You'll get home after that Sunday long run where, you know, your you're 4.15 or like insert whatever time is great for you per K for an hour, an hour and a half. is It just gets you up and about and people just live for that kind of moment. And I think it's, as, as we sort of said, it's a blessing and a curse if you can learn. I've been... <laughs> I've been reading a lot about um, a lot about Buddhism lately, and what I'm so interested in that they constantly speak about. In fact, I think it might be the foundation of the the whole sort of spiritual path or whatever they say is that a lot of the time that desire that we have is the cause of our suffering, and uh, yeah. you, you can't help but see it in in every part of your run. But sorry, in every part of your life, but especially running. And I think if if athletes um, could could really learn and train just like you're saying oh bro i'm preaching to myself right now it's yeah. it's one of those things if you can just hey let a bad run be a bad run don't get too down yeah. about it but let a yeah. good run be a good run don't don't you know convince yourself that that has to be the case every single run it's a it's a it's so easy to talk about bro though isn't it and then you get your watch yeah. on you go out for yeah. a run it's a it's a, a much bigger challenge to sort of try and wrestle with but it's a really important thing to, to i think highlight because there's a lot of runners out there that probably assume that um, you know, your Ryan Gregsons, your Stu McSwain's, your, your Jen Gregsons and Jess Trengoves and whatever uh, are just having great run after great run. And in fact, even though I've been in the sport for so long, one thing I've loved about doing this podcast is you get a chance to actually sit down with people, as you know, from, from your podcast yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and just pick their brain about, all right, hey, let's talk about your highs. Let's talk about your lows. What do you struggle with? And it doesn't matter whether you've been a runner for two months or you've been a runner for 20 years. For some reason, the same issues and struggles seem to keep rising to the surface and you realize it's it's just a constant balance do you know what i mean it's a constant yeah. balance of trying to figure out okay how am i going to actually adjust and adapt in order to make this work yeah oh, oh definitely um yeah and like oh, it's, it's it's such a it's such a balance and what makes it hard harder i think is um uh like just the external stresses as well like um you know it might be uh work stress or you know, you, you, you might suddenly have um, a newborn baby that you're caring for, like life changes um, as well. And um, like there, there's, there's those hidden um, stresses or you might not have as, ha- had very good sleep lately or you might not have been eating very well lately. So it's all those stresses that um, a lot of people, like a lot of um, times you feel like you, you're in great shape, you're training really well, and then you have an average average run and sometimes running can be quite confusing um and because you you're like why did I have an average run everything was pointing you know to the direction that I was going to run well um like I feel like there's a lot of um like appreciating um that there's a lot of um extra stresses out there as well um uh external stresses as well that you need to account for and um, appreciate so sometimes when there are when you do feel like there are those external stresses that you need to you need to even like potentially go okay this week I'm not going to have it have a harder run like I'll just run it run easier um uh but you know the other thing like everyone runs for a different reason you know I've always been like really heavily keen on performance like but some people aren't super driven by performance and they just you know they love like you said before Tice that that um hit and that adrenaline rush of going for a run. And so, you know, maybe for them, if they're only running three or four times a week, 
then going out and, and running a little bit harder and they're not aiming for for any particular race or, or any kind. They just like the feeling of going for a run, then, you know, maybe maybe it's okay, mm. um, yeah, for them. But, um, yeah, I, 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 it, it all depends on so many parameters because, you know, some people are running 10 times a week, some people are running three. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, different intensities and, um, yeah, different different volumes and yeah it's it's uh yeah there's so many um little little parameters that you dial in and dial up or dial down that um you just got to learn and know sort of what your capacity is and and it's just from learning from experience i suppose um and that 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 might sound simple but it's so true um and i've often found just um keeping a diary is a really good way to 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 monitor um, especially when you're starting out or especially when you're new to the sport and you've only done it for a few years or if you're having a lot of trouble and you are are in a bit of an injury sort of hole. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I uh, Another bloke who's, who's one of the members on, on the on the show, he's uh, it's Craig, his name is. He's, I'll give him a shout-out because he's a great bloke. He's always getting in touch and just saying what he likes about and what we can improve. And um, yeah. There's a big shout-out to him. But uh, one thing that he struggled with early was shin splints. Like, he's quite a new runner. And he said uh, his biggest mistake was last year. He really tried to ramp up his training probably a little bit too quick. And, uh, and and just the pain that he had to deal with was like a – it's a funny thing about running. You, you, you can only get away with a little bit too much for a little while. And I think yep. it's easy to trick yourself psychologically to go, no, I'm fine. But after a while, your body says, no, nah, you're not, mate. Like, And, yeah. and it's not going to work if you keep treating me like this. But that external stresses point that you touched on a couple of minutes ago is a really good one. I think a great example – do you remember Kale Simons? Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. Kale Simons, uh, an Australian runner, he ran three forty four. He ran eight oh three for three k. Like he was a gun. Um, yeah. yeah. He, he had a lot more to give, I reckon, if he if he hung in there. Oh like, man. He. Yeah. I, I think he could have been a. I think he could have been yeah. a stud. I think he could have been a yeah. stud. But I bring yeah. I bring him up because uh, Jocker and I we used to always laugh because before Kale, me and Jocker or James used to go out for a session. Um, he would get himself so worked up to the point where he was furious and he'd be like, he'd, he'd be grunting and moaning or whatever. And we're like, holy crap, like what's this guy got? And then he'd go out and absolutely smoke us in whatever it was that we were doing. But what was so funny was I used to think, all right, well, I'm going to try and get myself in that state. And I remember a couple of times I'd have like a little argument with Jesse and then I'd have to go down to training and try and do eight by K. And I'm like, fantastic, I'm going to use this anger and frustration and just go and run. And it was the session was always a write-off because I don't know what yeah. it was. I just could not run well angry. Um, in yeah, fact, yeah. the more relaxed I am, the more calm I am. I always, always felt like a like my best approach to a race is. I remember when I ate, ran eight ten for three k, which was like a massive PB. I, I was standing on the start line, and it's almost like I love that feeling of just pretending you're oblivious to what's going on. So I remember everyone used to be on the start line and you, you do your classic start, you know, this one, I'm trying to do it on the camera here for you, this one. And I remember we're on the start line, I just I just did this. <laughs> I just had my arms crossed and I remember thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing, mate? And it was just, it was such a, like a nonchalant, like just a ridiculous way to start a race. But it was like in the back of my mind, it said, mate, look how comfortable you are. Like, you're so ready yeah. for this. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, so I, yeah. I think every race after that one, I started with my arms folded, which you don't see <laughs> which you don't see too often. But um, 
We're going to go into detail, uh, into a lot more detail in the members only podcast that we'll do in a minute. Um, But before we do finish this one up, I was was just really interested from a, I guess, a, a general standpoint, if there's... If there was a particular bit of advice that you would give someone who was just getting started in running from years of physio, I know we've touched on a couple of things, um, but if someone came to you and said, look, I'm interested in getting started, not really sure where to start, like, did you have some real helpful, just pra- maybe three practical tips or, or, or a couple of practical tips where you could say, hey, here's a good place to start or a couple of things to look for? It's an open-ended question, but I'm just you've been in the sport long enough that I know it's a, a question that you would have plenty of answers to to share, yeah. man. So is there anything that you could encourage a, a new runner or an expert runner who just needs to hear it from a third party? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I reckon, um, so say if it is a new runner, like just starting the sport, um, I think making a, a, like not just rushing it and going, okay, in six weeks I'm going to do, do this and that like often I feel like the goal that they've got and the timeline that they've got is um, disproportionate so their goal is in six weeks but they want to run a marathon or, or like so um, like to make sure that the goal that they've got and the timeline they're using is is appropriate um, and if it isn't then go okay well what's a more appropriate goal for six weeks time and um I think that's where talking to either a running friend or um, reaching out to a running coach or a running physio is a good start in terms of just making sure that initially the goal that they're aiming for is really well pitched with their 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 um their running history, how strong they are, how long they have been away from the sport, um, and because as soon as you've got a well well um, a goal that's appropriate and so like a goal that's hard but not too hard um then I feel like you're less inclined to 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 um rush your preparation and then every progression in training is less likely to be too much and then so every step up in training is more likely to be tolerated by the body and so you're less likely to find yourself um, yeah, in a bit of a mess and, and um, over, overloaded and, and sore and, and feel like you just can't achieve it. So uh, that sounds like simple advice, but starting with a really appropriate um, distance. So if you haven't run for a long time, then 5K is generally a, a good good goal. Whereas too many times I see people going, oh, I want to run a marathon or like there's this huge push and um, uh, a like a lot of people really want to do the longer events these days, um, but they might have only done five or ten k. Um, like, why not try to make your five or ten k a little bit faster? Um, because I, I always feel like that that's um, a, a, a smaller change and a more appropriate change with where that person's at. And then once that's a bit faster, you've got more running in the legs. Then the next goal, maybe maybe it is a half marathon, but just doing it um, and and not necessarily racing it. Um, and then eventually doing the half marathon, you know, two or three or four times, um, rather than just rushing, like, um, yeah, today's society, like often we, we really are just all in a rush for some reason. And, um, uh, yeah, just making sure the goal is appropriate. And then, uh, I, I often feel like everyone from a training point of view, um, changes too many things at once um so if you haven't run for a long time then 
you know, su- suddenly um, having um, suddenly running three days a week might be too much. So maybe you need to do the couch to 5k program and follow a walk jog program for, for a good six, eight, 10 weeks um, just to, just to feel comfortable running again. Um, with, with someone who's starting to run again, often you need you really show great improvement when you start doing a strength program as well. So often uh, seeing a running physio or a, a physio that you feel has got a bit of experience with running or, or a strength and conditioning guy or, um, or a friend that you feel like um, well-versed in it all um, and getting – uh, getting a few tips and go, where do you think I'm weak? Where do you think I'm getting pain here? They look at your running technique and, and they say, oh, geez, yeah. You, you, or, or they do a few tests and they realize, oh, gee, that calf or that quad or that glute um, looks like it's definitely not up to scratch for doing 5K or 10K. You need to work on the strength capacity in that muscle. Um, and so alongside your, your running um, you might have three exercises that you do in your warm-up and, um, and you just do that three times a week and then you, you schedule them apart so that you have your walk-jog day, you have your exercise day and then the next day you might either have a walk or you have a, ri- a bike ride but you have, have a day where it's, um, it's, it might be a swim but it's off your feet and it's not as hard so you're recovering um, so you, you, you're appreciating the need to have recovery days in there as well. Um, yeah, that, that's probably, that's probably in a nutshell, um, a, a good goal and appropriate timeline for the goal. Um, and then with training, appreciating the need to, to change just slowly one variable at a time and, and the appreci- appreciating the need for rest days. And then with the variables, I often feel like, Increasing your vol- volume is is the is important and and the frequency of running is important at the start. So aiming if you're just starting running again, I reckon three days is plenty. But just not not suddenly doing hill reps and stair reps and and speed runs and and four hundreds around the track, but more just focusing on learning how to run and cover the distance and appreciating that that's going to be enough to get you fitter and faster because your legs are your legs are getting more used to running and alongside with the strength training, that's going to help too. Rather than adding in, um, you know, an interval session, a fartlek session, a hill session, uh, a really, really long run as well. Um, a lot of people focus on too many parameters and amping them up all at once. And sometimes it's just good to be able to get yourself up to three to four days a week of 5Ks running first and do that for a, a block of time before you start going, okay, now one of those runs I'll change to a long run five minutes at a time every few weeks. Um, you add, add a bit more on. And, and then one run I'll, I'll start doing some thresholds, so some, 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 some stuff that's a little bit faster but not too much faster. And then eventually you might be adding in some longer reps. Um, but I, the last thing I'd add in is the hill reps and the speed reps. But... A lot of people add that in way too early before they're actually a robust and fit runner. And um, you've got to be fit before you start really training for performance. And um, you've got to be a bit more injury resilient and robust as a runner and not pull up as sore before you start adding that stuff in. But, do you know, the flip of the coin is that you kind of eventually 
the, the stuff that really steals you from injury and stops you from getting injured is the hill reps and is the speed work and and it is that kind of stuff doing that you know just every now and then really keeps your tissue robust but the art is about trying to get to that stage where you're actually doing it mm, man it's such a good point and uh uh, what I really liked about what you just said then is just that slow progression towards the uh, towards the marathon. Make the marathon the last goal. In fact, with the programs that I have uh, on relaxed running, it starts off just like you said. We've got the we started a five k, and you've got the beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And the beginner option for the five k, similar to couch to five k, it's like a, it's almost a walk run process. Just to hey, can you can you jog for two minutes? Have a minute recovery. Jog for we'll do that for fifteen minutes, and then just gradually. The whole goal with the way that it's structured is just to um, the like the five k program um, is it's like a six week program. Do you know what I mean? So you gradually just work towards that, and then it's ten weeks to ten k, and then it's twenty weeks to uh, a half marathon, then another twenty four weeks on top of that to train for a marathon. So it's just I, I really like I really like and respect that. Um, yeah. that process because I've just I've spoken to so many runners and now speak to you know professionals like your, yourself in the physio world who say look it's just it's something you continually see and you mentioned before it's very simple but how funny is it man like uh, yeah. we, we're obsessed with the latest scientific breakthroughs and we want to know the complex breakdowns of you know whatever it is that we're learning but the truth is so many of us still struggle just to implement the simple and uh, I, I think it's um it's funny, man. It's almost ironic that the simple things are the things that we ignore, despite the fact that they're going to probably have the biggest benefit on our yeah. overall longevity, running performance. Uh, it's a it's a really interesting juggle, sort of, between all of those factors, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, um, on I had um, Michael Nishki on my podcast. He's a really good podiatrist from Adelaide, and he um, is doing a bit of study into. Um, running training and injuries and um, I think he simplified it really well and um, and you see it in the clinic all the time is um, people are um, probably putting more emphasis on oh it was because of my shoes or it was because of my biomechanics like my foot rolls like this um, whereas yeah they might be a small part but how, how did you sort of like done a really good sort of slow build up um, he really and I agree with this, like really put a huge emphasis on training errors as the main cause for injuries more often than not. And it's when you ramp up the training too quickly in, in one way or form with, with all those um, parameters, you know, whether it was the amount of times you run a week, the frequency, the, the, the volume that you choose to do each run um, and the intensity um, at which you do it uh, and the, 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 the lack of respect or need for a rest day or an, an easier day, um, they're, they're more um, the, the predictors for injury I've found with the patients that I see. And I'm really trying to educate runners that that's the stuff to focus on. Look, you can, you can run, you, you, everyone runs differently and, and, and everyone's supposed to run differently biomechanically um, uh, you know, people run with, you know, knees rolling in. Um, some people run on their toes. Some people run on their heels. Um, but if you do a slow progressive program with appropriately pitched um, uh, uh, progressions and then adequately spaced rest days or easy days, your body will adapt and your tissue, your, your bones, your cartilage, your muscles, your tendons will all slowly get stronger over time no matter what your biomechanics are. Um, so biomechanically, 
um, that probably and, and shoe wise, um, if if you it probably determines where you're going to get sore biomechanically. So say if your knees roll in and then you've changed your training really quickly, then yeah, maybe you're going to be more um, you're more likely to overload your knees if you roll in really fast um, uh, or uh, if you run on your toes or if you um, uh, always wear sort of minimalist shoes and you ramp up a training uh, para- parameter really quickly, then, yeah, more, maybe you're going to be more likely to feel it in your calves. Like I think that stuff indicates where you're going to feel the pain, um, but it doesn't – it's the training and, and the choices of training that is – is that often what is out of whack um, and is why you get sore. Um, I mean, if we didn't run, we wouldn't get sore. So like, it, it, it shows that the, it's the training, training um, decisions that are the most important part. Yeah, so true, man. I'm, I'm reading this book at the moment called, um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's like an old school 90s health book from, uh, from the state. The, the, the guys who write it, write it have a, a company called their last name's Braggs. They've got like Braggs apple cider vinegar. They're right, in, right into the health and nutrition and just getting back to nature's way of eating. And it was so funny listening to the book, uh, uh, looking through the book, because one of the things that the bloke who wrote it was saying was that whenever someone gets sick, they come to us and just say, oh, I spent too much time in the cold or I was around someone with an infection and now I'm sick. And he goes, no one ever takes responsibility for what they could have controlled. So the the, the nutrients that they're taking in, the sleep that they're getting, um, the stress levels that they're going through, and, and so many other factors, which in fact uh, all sort of, uh, I guess, encourage diseases and stuff to flourish. So, man, it's uh, it's right in line with what Nida, who just quietly is a great bloke, and uh, yeah, give him yeah. a big shout out because he's a he's a knowledgeable man. He's a South Australian bloke, isn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. I used to live in I lived in South Australia for a year. And, uh, yep. yeah, for whatever reason, that just that name just sparked up the word Adelaide in my mind. So, uh, yeah, now shout out to him. He's, a, he's good. But, man, dude, we've been speaking for, for an yep. hour now, and that was a, a banger of a chat. Um, I know I'm going to pick your brain a, a lot more and, and delve into some more details about, you know, how we can structure uh, strength training around running training, around recovery. Um, I would also like to pick your brain in, in more detail about some of the other mistakes and some of the other positive things that you see athletes doing because I, I know this is a conversation that you've been studying for sort of 10 years and, and you could talk about for a lot longer, but I, I know there's a lot of gold that uh, that we can dig out there. So we'll, we'll jump across and uh, and hit record, bro. But hey, man, thanks so much for coming on. That was a really good chat, bro. Good good excuse for a catch-up as well. Yeah, exactly, mate. Like uh, It's been way too long and no, I always love talking to about running, and um, yeah, I, I always um, love a bit of um, Tyson Popplestone time. Like, yeah, you're <laughs> so positive, and um, it's you always um, leave a chat with you like quite quite upbeat. So, oh, bro, I was saying the same thing actually when I hung up uh, when we when we chatted the other day just to get this one hung up, uh, get this one organised. I hung up and said to Jesse, I was like, oh, if there's one way to feel good about yourself, give old Dane Verway a call. So, bro, feelings feelings mutual. Uh, we'll man, we'll we'll make sure this happens a lot more regularly. And uh, the only reason we didn't end up doing this face-to-face, I don't know if we said at the start of the podcast, we we're going to meet up at, uh, at what yeah. is it, at Waverley Park footy ground. Yeah. And uh, I thought we could do it in the grandstand, but with that wind, and I thought there's no way I'm sitting in a car with a good-looking bloke like yourself for two hours because the uh, – can you imagine Can you imagine what the neighbours would have been thinking, us two blokes? Said, no, we're recording the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, we'll leave it there, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, awesome, Tice.